Hello and welcome to Groovecast, the podcast for the rhythm section with me, Ashley Walker. And me, Charlie Smith. And uh, today we're going to be talking about um, a couple of things that uh, when we started the podcast uh, about a year ago, this was these were sort of the type of discussions that we really wanted to have. And coming back for our second season here, we wanted to waste no time uh, and get straight down to it. So uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about iconic albums. And uh, specifically in this one, we're going to be talking about the album Asia and uh, the album The Dude by Quincy Jones. Um, so let's get straight into it. I've got a little bit of uh, spiel here that Charlie's uh, looking forward to um, about Asia. Um, so Asia, if you're not aware, was Steely Dan's sixth studio album. It was released on the 23rd of September 1977. Uh, it involved almost 40 musicians, including Michael McDonald, Larry Carlton, Wayne Shorter, Lee Rittner, Jay Graydon, Steve Gadd, and the Eagles bassist, uh, Timothy B. Schmidt, among, uh, well, many, many more. Um, the album became uh, Steely Dan's most commercially, uh, commercially, I should say, successful, and in the years and decades since its release, it has increasingly become one of the most influential albums of all time. Um, so, whew. yeah, that's uh, that's out, that's out the way now. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I think when we were starting to get thinking about this sort of iconic albums, I'm going to call it a series, which is what I think it'll probably become. Uh, at least it'll be done over multiple episodes, discussing a myriad of albums and and favourites of ours, uh, and and some absolute classics as well. I'm sure. But yeah, uh, couldn't think of a better couple of albums to, to kick it off with. Um, and yeah, uh, this, uh, Asia in particular, has, has always been probably my favourite Steely Dan album. Because mm. I think it's just uh, the mo- one of the most complete albums ever. It's, it's one of those where you can listen down it, and I'm sure we'll get more into this later, but there's not one track that you would want to skip past. You want to listen to every track. And I think that will probably become a theme with a lot of the albums that we look at is that they, in a way that maybe you don't see as much with a lot of the kind of more commercial artists now and again, it's everything is done with a lot of thought. Mm. It wasn't necessarily about what would sell or what would be commercially viable. It was all about what would be musically right yeah and that's i mean de- uh, definitely with steely dan that's always been their approach hence mm. why there's over 40 different musicians on on the uh on this particular album or is it almost 40 i forget which i think almost it lands. yeah almost <laughs> somewhere anyway, around there around 40 so it's it's one of those where and and the steely dan way sort of from their once there were a few albums in was always to hire the right people for the right song mm. which i really like uh and to be honest i don't think you would really manage that nowadays with budgets and mm. and everything that that comes together so it was it's pretty uh a, a pretty amazing achievement when you look at it now of, of the amount of time effort and money that will have gone into any of these albums mm. uh, especially these two today uh, but yeah, let's just run it down a little bit. Um, the track listing, uh, you know, is kind of always the first place that I tend to go on an album. Yeah, and and I think um, what's great about this, as you said, this series, as we g- 
get go on with it is I, I'm not sure if it's the same for you because I know that as you said this is one of your favorite albums it's certainly one of mine um, but I, I didn't know although we've all seen the kind of documentaries about the players that were involved in it I didn't know um, about the producers and all that kind of thing and in sort of preparing for this I had a little read-up of um, one of the producers involved I think there was a lot of different uh, people involved in it but one of them was uh, a guy called Gary Katz who uh, previously had worked with Shaka Khan uh, the Mamas and Papas, Jimmy Buffett, and he'd also worked on um, Can't Buy a Thrill, uh, Steely Dan's earlier album, and after uh, Asia, he went on to produce Gaucho, the next album, and also um, Donald Fagan's uh, solo album, uh, Nightfly. So, yeah. and, and then looking at also at the mastering, um, a guy called Bernie uh, Grunman, who worked on, uh, before this, I think the only real major thing he'd worked on was uh, an earth wind and fire album but after this album he went on to uh, master the grease soundtrack and thriller amongst other things so you know you're talking about like getting the best players and the best people it goes even not just players mastering and producing and you can really tell with this album yeah and again you know even further than that if you were to really look into it they'll be in the best studios with the best engineers and all the best you know the most modern kit of the time uh to do to get the absolute most out of it which is what they did yeah uh, and you know where today it gets taken for granted a bit that we've got everything at our fingertips on a laptop back then it was all pretty much analog you know you were mm. still working you know still by then probably still recording to tape yeah which, isn't a thing now really as much as it was then no. so it is all everything was so thought out and i mean as you were saying there with um gary katz also doing can't buy a thrill that's probably my second favorite steely dan album and so you can definitely see there's a lineage of what sounds great and them getting the right people in for the job yeah and that was that was for me always what steely dan being donald fagan and walter becker were absolutely uh, spot on at doing and you know I mean you read down the track listing and it's it's just you know it's what seven tracks of brilliance I mean you know you've got Black Cow as, as the opener which is a really solid kind of plodding along funky mm. tune with it where you know uh, so much about what we're what we love about some of these albums when especially when they've got a bit of feel and a bit of funk to them is always about the groove but what steely dan also did which i love is they really had the lyrics right mm. so every song on this tells tells a story and it all has a bit of storytelling to it which is really genius as well backed up with pretty incredible music yeah so yeah black cows are a really solid opener and you know you've got Chuck Rainey on bass, Larry Carlton on guitar, mm. uh, Paul Humphrey on drums, and it's just a really, really solid opener to the to the album. And then moving on into what's probably the most iconic track, or one of them, mm. uh, the title track, Asia, which is, I mean, it's just a melting pot of of greatness. You've got again Larry Carlton and Chuck Rainey on there. You've got uh, Wayne Shorter on sax, yeah. Steve Gadd on drums. Um, 
Denny Diaz and Guitar, who's founding member of uh, of Steely Dan, and then as you mentioned in your opener, uh, Timothy B. Schmidt on uh, backing vocals. Yeah. Who, uh, who, as you say, went to uh, went on to be uh, oh bassist uh, for the Eagles. Bassist for the Eagles. Yeah, that's that was it. <laughs> I couldn't couldn't get Earth, Wind, and Fire out of my head for a moment. <laughs> no. It's complete just blank. It's unbelievable though. Like um. Like I said, reading up on this album, you know, I knew obviously the people like Chuck Rainey and Larry Carlton were involved, and they're probably two of uh, the most constant players on this album. Um, you know, and then obviously you've got Steve Gadd on Asia playing that ridiculous, you know, solo at the end. But I had no idea who that it was Wayne Shorter on uh, at sax, and then yeah, Timothy Schmidt doing the uh, backing vocals on quite a few of the tracks as well. I think as we uh, as we run down them, you know. Yeah, and I mean, Asia is just, it's one of those that really evokes a mood when you listen to it. Mm. You get that that almost Eastern feel to it through just, not even through instrumentation, but just choice of voicings and chords and harmonic choices as well as rhythmic choices that mm. just make it, make it really have a really evocative kind of sound to it, which was it's something you don't hear too often it, you know something really trying to pull at the story and pull at the lyrics to get that sound and then as you as you mentioned we have a um a, a Steve Gadd drum solo in there which for me is always a bonus on a track <laughs> and something that you don't hear very often you know i mean who puts drum solos on songs and you know it, it it's not a common thing but it was the right place and mm. they got the right player to do it and, and apparently, sorry, go I on. think he uh, Gad just came in and sight read it. Mm. You know, on the on the day, maybe he had a couple of quick playthroughs, but it was he was reading the chart as he played. Yeah, played the the tune. And I think you can tell with that as well. I mean, with quite a lot of Steve Gad's classic drum things, you can tell it's not. He didn't necessarily uh, have it pre-planned in his head. This is a play something like this or that kind of feel you can tell it's it was probably different if they did more than one take of his drum solo which i think they did like none of them would have been exactly the same because you can tell it's just all off the cuff kind of thing yeah but as well as it being off the club uh, off the cuff it's totally signature to gad you know when you mm. hear what he's playing on a drummer level you hear those kind of thematic ideas that gad becomes or became known for you know, yeah. using the triplet, uh, the triplet, uh, Rat McHugh setups and some of the other, uh, the, the other phrasing and uh, and and things that he put in into there, just made it quintessentially recognisable. You know, mm. it's one of those where you can listen to it and you know immediately who it is. There's yeah. no doubting who played it, and to get to that level for any musicians, something pretty special. Yeah. And then uh, you you go on again, and I think that the last track on uh, side A, Deacon Blues, you know, another yeah. track that you like. You said one of these albums where, for me, one of the rare albums where I can listen to it all the way through and love every track, and and uh, yeah, move on for a monster like Asia, and then a really nice track like Deacon Blues, which uh, had uh, Larry Carlton again, but this time Lee Rittner on uh, guitar as well, which I think you can kind of hear is. Uh, his little stamp on it, you know. Yeah, and then Purdy on drums, which 
you can hear just sitting and grooving away at the back just keeping it really solid mm. and we'll come to the purdy stamp later on i'm sure when we get into side b uh and we start to get to the shuffles but um but again it's just it, when you come out of a, a real monster of a track as you say to go into something smooth and laid back and just with a really great groove which is what deacon blues is it makes it a really good clo- closer and it's something that a lot of the average listeners don't think about but the way they order the tracks yeah can really make or break an album absolutely um, and with this, I think they got it absolutely bang on because there's so much light and shade, but it still flows. And I think the genius of Steely Dan is that they had, and I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before, having all these players on uh, on, on one album could make it sound like seven different albums as you listen down it, but mm. it doesn't. It still sounds cohesive. Even yeah. though you've got these different players, these different approaches, these different sounds, it all still sounds like a Steely Dan album. Yeah, I think like the key to that, although funnily enough on Deacon Blues it was Walter uh, Becker on bass, I think one of the keys to that was having Chuck Rainey near enough on every track. And also then obviously you've got Walter Becker, although he doesn't play on every track, um, and Donald Fagan is on every track. It's like just goes to show how much um you know how deliberate it was and uh that they must have had some sort of map in their head of the sound of the the album because um yeah you've got all these different players in it like you say it sounds it doesn't sound like uh, uh you know seven different tracks from different albums it's excellent yeah yeah and then flipping to side b uh we've got I know you like my sneaky pun in there. I thought I couldn't resist it. <laughs> but um, we, we, we come on to Peg, which is probably, it's up there in my favourites from the album. You know, mm. it's hard to pick a favourite when, when they're all so good, but Peg's definitely up there. Uh, I mean, the way that Rick Marotta and Chuck Rainey lock together in the drum and bass department there is, is something pretty special. Mm. I think um, uh, on that, you, you can check it out on YouTube after this, obviously after you've watched this or listened um there's that video as well of them talking about it and they isolate the bass and drums and it's so um different because the the kick drum and the bass aren't together like this you kind of you got the bass doing that sort of funky slap thing in the chorus and um which chuck rainey slipped in without them realizing because they didn't want slap on it um and then you've got um rick marotta playing a really syncopated feel with his kick drum and it's but it just grooves. You'd like you wouldn't kind of pick on it um, unless you see stuff like that. And it's, yeah, excellent. Yeah, I think that comes from the classic albums documentary, which is also completely worth checking out for this album and all of the other albums that that series has uh, has gone through uh, over the years. But it does it goes into great detail. Also, when they isolate some of the guitar solos that were put on this, because I think they went through. A, good few players mm. and a couple of days work before Jay Graydon came in and um, and put that kind of Hawaiian slide solo on it yeah uh, which when you listen to the others all of them were great solos but they weren't they weren't as right as what ended up on the mm. on the album and there's there's always those great stories from different musicians of on you know who, who've been and done sessions for Steely Dan and it was like you wouldn't know if you were on the album until it came out yeah 
because you do do your session and there's half a chance that they've got to the end of the day or the end of the week and gone yeah we're going to start again mm. we're going to do it differently and i and think everything would be wiped and i think um one of the brilliant things again about it is you've got uh walter becker there who's again a brilliant guitarist in his own right and i think in again in that documentary and in that uh, video he says he had a go at the solo himself and wasn't happy with it so to have the bottle to say to, like and not to let your ego go you know say i want to have another go and you know to bring in someone like jay graydon and uh yeah and they and back to that thing of them knowing uh kind of the set what they wanted it to sound like in their head i think as soon as he put that guitar solo down they pretty much knew that was going to be the one yeah for sure and a huge props on this has to go to Michael McDonald as well for yeah. for the, the the BVs on on Peg because they are something just incredibly special and really tight harmonies like it's not um not like the type of uh, harmonies and intervals and stuff that you would usually hear um, but if there's somebody who's going to lay it down like that it would be Michael McDonald wouldn't it yeah and again when you hear those in isolation it's like an absolute wall of sound so tight with each other you know and so well crafted that as you say it couldn't be anyone else to do it and yeah michael mcdonald just went in there and and absolutely uh caned it on the on the <laughs> bbs and i think they, they i don't know how many tracks they'll have used just for backing vocals and yeah. layering all those sounds up but yeah it really adds something special to an already great track and moving on to this uh, the second track on uh, side b which i'm gonna throw a curveball uh in there is probably my favorite track on the album uh i'm not sure why probably something to do with bernard purdy on uh, drums on it at home at last yeah uh, again what, what a tune i mean this is coming out of peg which is syncopated and up tempo and you know has a bit of drive to it then you're into home at last which is the most laid back half time shuffle purdy shuffle sort of classic that that's just complete chalk and cheese to what you've just heard mm. but still not only an amazing song in its own right but it flows straight after that mm. sort of really um just kind of you know two opposite songs that sit together nicely yeah and yeah definitely purdy on on the drums and, and again chuck rainey laying it down um larry carlton on guitar and then walter becker playing the solo on this mm. one which um which is really cool and yeah again just another well thought out track and you know what donald fagan and, and walter becker although they could be pretty hard taskmasters in the studio they knew why they were doing it and they had full right to do and to work how they did because they got the results yeah and what they got out at the end of it was something really amazing yeah and then uh again like just looking down this track list and then the next track i got the news just again just hit smashing out the park like on this side b just another yeah. monster of a track well that's it and another drummer you know you got ed green on uh on this one and you know you've got both larry carlton and walter, walter becker taking solos on it and mm. again it just builds up this another great track and i think that's probably one of the tracks that slips under the radar of most people when yeah. they think of 
when they think of the album because they think of the the big hitters like Peg or like Home at Last or Josie or whatever and they forget sometimes about the not the lesser tracks but the tracks that aren't as played outside of the album you know not yeah. the, the sort that you wouldn't hear on the radio or you wouldn't hear um too often anywhere else unless mm. you listen to that album yeah and it's it's so tight as well and and again you've got another outstanding performance from Michael McDonald on the on on the harmonies and the backing vocals in sort of that middle section um and actually when i think about it quite similar to peg in it's like almost barbershop style like harmonies in the closeness of them um yeah. and then you've got a really sort of odd um i'm not sure if it's the it's, i guess it is a guitar solo but there's a sort of really strange little solo in it um uh, in the middle of it and you'd kind of listen to it if it was in any other context you'd think that's a bit of a not you know your standard solo but it just works perfectly for the track yeah it was just having the right approach again that made what they do perfect and then to round it all out we have a track that i know is a, a mutual favorite of ours <laughs> uh which is josie as as a as a closing track and again just reading down the the names who are on it you you know you got jim keltner on drums who yeah you know again an amazing player and a, a really signature style of playing that when you hear it you kind of get and you know it's a keltner track yeah um dean parks and larry carlton on guitars again walter becker playing the solo mm. and uh victor feldman on uh on on roads fender roads uh, mm. organ and it just again has such a great feel to it that kind of funky um you know really smooth smooth feel yeah that, that uh even when we did it we couldn't quite get that close but uh we <laughs> had to try it which you can find on uh <laughs> online if you look for it <laughs> I think um, as well, w uh, making this uh, like this type of series, we were sort of discussing um, how to uh, run through it and everything. And it was with especially monster albums like these two and like Asia, we couldn't possibly mention everybody uh, involved. And even just on each track, we'd miss people out. But certainly, one of the unsung heroes is Victor Feldman, because um, when sort of writing about. I knew he was Fender Rhodes on this one, but I think on most of the tracks he's doing either uh, percussion or Fender Rhodes. Or, um, but you can go and check it out uh, for yourself. All the you know monster musicians that are involved in it. But um, yeah, like you said, we had a go at this one, and uh, I think we it was pretty close, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't bad for a three piece. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, it, it is. It's just, and it is the right track to finish the album off because you really do end the album on a high you know after all of that you know musical light and shade going through each of the tracks you come out on this really nice really upbeat uh tune and yeah. it is it's 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 a really complete album and, and it's hard to hard to quantify any any other way mm. as you know although it's seven very separate tracks once you put them all together it it they belong together yeah and again like doing this uh, video and and looking through it all like 
to see that there are only seven tracks on it as well, I couldn't believe it because even though I've played in bass lessons and stuff, played through all these songs, I just thought there were more than that. Maybe because some of them are long and then, um, yeah, they just go. Uh, you just sort of know after each track. I don't know if, what it's like for you, but when I listen to it on on uh, or streaming it or whatever, it's like I know what the next track's gonna be when that one f one finishes. You know what the intro to the next one's gonna be. It just all sort of goes into each other perfectly. Yeah, it's so recognisable, and it just just seems to work. You know, as unlikely as it may have sounded at the time, it was they made the right choices musically to bring it mm. all together and it is it's you know it's that's why it's one of my favorites and i think will always remain so mm. because it's just an utterly perfect album and everything about it just works there's no as we said there's nothing on there that you listen to and think yeah that could have been done better or that sounds like it was rushed a little bit or they didn't really take the time over it it was everything was meticulously done mm. and you hear about uh, these albums like iconic albums from the 60s and uh, you know people like phil Spector and um the wrecking crew and all that kind of thing and whereas i mean there was a lot of deliberate stuff in that but quite a lot of the brilliance happened sort of accidentally you know with an album like asia it was all they wanted it to sound that way and they got exactly what they wanted which i think is kind of even more brilliant yeah they had the complete foresight that they knew what they wanted to hear on everything. Mm. And, you know, even though they didn't know the specifics of it, when they heard it, they were like, yeah, that's the one. Mm. That's that's what we need to need to get. And, you know, when you listen to all of the, the players who 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 went on to to do the the album and then you look at where they went after that. And it was one of those where, you know, it really became that album that, that skyrocketed a load of session players to do even bigger things. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think even though it was, like we said in the intro, it was commercially s successful at the time, I think it's kind of even so more so since the, the, you know, social media and all that kind of thing that certainly young musicians and uh, musicians that... Um, are into sort of funk and groove and now that the, all these session players like purdy and chuck rainey are starting to get the recognition that they deserve you know for sure um, for sure yeah. it's it's good that it's come around and it hasn't gotten lost into the midst of time and that it's still probably as as great sounding now as it was ever mm. and it's right. never dated itself either yeah which is kind of interesting it's it still sounds fresh to me at yeah. least it doesn't sound you know like you listen to some older older songs older albums and the sounds on it are a little bit dated or you know it, it hasn't stood the test of time but i think with this particular album it most definitely has yeah and then we move on from that album and uh, we continue with another absolutely uh, iconic album that word's going to be used a lot i think iconic um, yeah, it's probably going to become the name of this series. I yeah, it's almost as though we thought of that. We should have. We should have pre-planned this. <laughs> um, so I'll do a little bit of spiel again about uh, this album. It's one of my absolute favourites. Um, it's called The Dude by Quincy Jones. 
Uh, the Dude was a studio album released in 1981 but, uh, by the iconic composer slash producer slash everything else, Quincy Jones. Uh, the album features a whole host of studio musicians and legends, including Abe Laboreal, Lewis Johnson, Greg Fillingaines, Steve Lukather, David Foster, Herbie Hancock, uh, John Robinson, also known as JR, um, and Stevie Wonder, among just a whole a whole host, as I just said, of uh, other musicians. Um, it gained a lot of attention for its use of different genres, from jazz to rap and funk to rock, not to mention it also launched the career of uh, the singer James Ingram. Uh, the album will be nominated for 12 Grammys, uh, claiming three of them, and also won the aforementioned Ingram three Grammys as well. Um, so as I said, this album is a Quincy Jones album. He produced, arranged, composed all the music and everything. Um, and as I was just saying to uh, Charlie before the video, um, it's worth mentioning as well, as he's like a local hero to uh, people from musicians from Lincolnshire, um, a lot of the arrangements were also done by a guy called Rod Temperton, um, who's an absolute legend, did loads of the Michael Jackson stuff as well, uh, and he happens to be uh, from Cleethorpe, just up the road there, which always helps. <laughs> um, yeah, so absolutely just iconic, iconic Charlie album. Indeed um, it is. It's one of my favourites. In fact, again, like Asia was my favourite Steely Dan album, The Dude is definitely probably the top Quincy Jones album yeah um and uh you know again as I keep reiterating like what and it's one of my favorite things about doing these like top 10 videos and top whatever like when we look into it and do our own little research you learn stuff that I had no idea about even though I love this album and also just like this morning and yesterday listening through this album again I just realized how much I like it and also similar to Asia, the contrast in the tracks. Um, so we'll get straight into it on the first track, which is I Know Corrida, which is just an absolute belting track, I'm sure you'll agree. Yeah, I mean, that's a track that I can't tell you the amount of times I've had that on driving back from a gig somewhere, because it just slaps mm. you around the face. Yeah. You know, it's big, it's funky, it's, it's all there, you know. It's just a really well thought out and and, and well composed, well arranged track. Yeah. And you think, you know, what better way to open the album? And I think it's probably mm. one of the most known tracks on the album as well. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. I still, um, I think, although arguably other ones had more commercial success, um, I still hear I know Creed are played on the radio sometimes. Which. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Um, late, late night on radio too quite often is uh is a good place to hear it <laughs> and um and every time it comes on it's still you know you can bookend it put it in between two really modern tracks and it doesn't sound like you know it doesn't sound dated it doesn't sound old like we were saying with with asia it yeah it still stands up and still sounds great yeah and one of the things i wrote uh when making some notes on this was what just strikes me about it is it's just like for me vintage Quincy Jones um, and the style of it which is his style but it's like a cross between his work at the time with uh, the brothers Johnson uh, which uh, as I mentioned before Lewis Johnson on bass who played on most of these tracks uh, the band that he was in um, and uh, his work at that time with Michael Jackson so and it's I think that sort of 
the best way that I could think of sort of summing it up is just a cross between those two, um, you know, the work he did with those two guys. And um, like with Asia, just the guys, the people that he got to play on these album, uh, on these tracks, sorry. Um, you know, on the first track, you've got Lewis Johnson, who does a like great slap thing in the middle. And then you've got Steve Luther, who played on it and um, did like the guitar solo in it. Herbie Hancock played on this track. Greg Fillon Games. Um, which, as you uh, mentioned before, it's like looking into the future at a, f uh, a future Toto lineup with Phil and Gaines and uh, Steve Lukather on it. Yeah, for sure. And then J.R. Robinson on on Kiss. Um, I mean, J.R.'s a, a, a legendary player in his own right for the amount of work and sessions he's done. Not only with Quincy doing this and also a lot of Michael Jackson stuff. You know, I mean, every time I hear Rock With You, um, the Michael Jackson thing that's just that's quintessential J.R. Robinson because it's just mm. really solid funky uh, tight you know and it's the same approach on here and then of course um, the other thing J.R.'s known for doing was uh, the Shaka Khan uh, stuff and some of those really again really iconic drum parts mm. were were J.R.'s making and he is a, a pretty legendary player in my eyes at least I think he's and one that goes pretty underrated quite a lot. Mm. Yeah. And um, it's, again, like the similarities between, which is kind of one of the reasons we picked these two albums to kick this off was, um, although they are very different albums, the similarity is, uh, although there's probably more constant players on this album than Asia, there are a lot of different uh, uh, players that come into each track, but like Chuck Rainey or Larry Carlton or even Donald Fagan or Walter Becker being the constant on Asia, JR is like the constant on this album, um, yeah. which I think is key. And Lewis Johnson is one of the constants, although we will get on to a, another bass player that was featured on this album. Um, sure. But yeah, great opening track. And then you move on to obviously the title track, The Dude, um, which is just so one of those words again that we use all the time in the pocket isn't it <laughs> yeah absolutely um i mean my favorite thing about this track has got to be the little stabs because mm. they just they're just so so right and so funky and the little variations that happen each time they come around you know and sometimes it's they hold it for a note and then come back in sometimes it's straight through yeah. So it has, even when you still listen to it now, knowing the song, it still has that unpredictability to it. Yeah. Which is really nice, and it's always a, a kind of a, a moment that makes me smile when I when I hear those stabs, and it's just like, yeah, this is funky. And yeah. Everything's so, so tight and so mm. well done. And again, as I said um, with Asia, it's we couldn't possibly mention everybody involved, especially on this album, in terms of arrangements and um, synth programming and all that. There's so many people that we couldn't mention them all, but um, if you want to check out who did uh, a lot of the horn arrangements, you should do that, because as we're going to mention on a few of these tracks, they are so key to it, even though as what we're all about groove, you know, like people like Lewis Johnson and JR, um, it wouldn't be the tr they wouldn't be the tracks they are without those monster horn arrangements. Yeah, the brass um, really makes it. Yeah, it really makes it something even better. Yeah, and I think um, 
yeah so to talking about getting into sort of the personnel on uh, on this track you've got again lewis johnson on bass jar as we mentioned on drums then you've got uh, the legendary stevie wonder playing on synth um michael jackson's on backing vocals um and that's kind of i think a testament to what a great vocalist james ingram is that you've got michael jackson seeing back up to him on it um, yeah the only, only quincy jones could get away with that one yeah um you just know and again uh well not again but certainly something i was thinking before this is which is worth mentioning is if if you haven't seen the uh, uh the documentary film quincy um i think it's it's available on a lot of different platforms um you've got to check that out because you just know for a fact that going into this album he was just calling in all his favors all his superstar friends um, and they didn't has like people like Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, you know, wouldn't have hesitated for a second coming in and doing this for him. Um, but yeah, again, great track. Uh, and moving on to what we're saying before, the contrast in uh, this gorgeous ballad, uh, just once. Mm. Yeah, a, a definite favourite of that, you know. And you've got uh, Abel Boreal Senior on bass on this, which. I mean, there's a legendary player in his in his own right. There, uh, mm. what what a what a bass player he is. And then, you know, of course, uh, you've got uh, David Foster on it as well, mm. which is, I think, as you pointed out, you can really hear the style of that. Yeah, you know who it is, and, and it's another one that's so recognisable that even though it's on a Quincy Jones album, you can tell who's on that who specifically is on that track yeah um yeah and uh again like i keep mentioning of not realizing who played on like these albums um once i sort of was researching and saw that it was david foster on this it's one of those where you go oh yeah i can hear it now you know and you realize it's like how did i not think of that before um yeah i think what i wrote about it was that it's um it's just like a perfect track again the brilliance of quincy jones to pick which musicians to use on what tracks and i'm sure this is one that he he wrote and thought of david foster probably straight away because um, it is so similar to some of those ballads that he did with earth wind and fire um and then again on this track you've got steve lukather again um totally chalk and cheese to what he played on um i know Corida with his monster guitar solo then you've got him just playing a really laid back uh, funky thing on this but um, equally as brilliant and yeah you know what i mean it's like to get and it, it goes with all of these players who are on this they can do the whole look at me you know big guitar solos big drum solos or whatever but when you tell them to just sit in the groove and they just will and they just can yeah and it takes a lot more to make a groove interesting than it would mm. to make a solo interesting yeah and that's that's where the big session players i think really make make their name it's when you mm. can sit in a groove and you still can listen to it and go steve luca to that yeah and again this is uh also features james ingram again and sort of one of the key songs that really launched his career and uh, all the work amazing work he went on to do after this um and then again next track uh bet you wouldn't hurt me which again the contrast in that you've got uh, patty austin on lead vocals uh lewis johnson on bass again stevie wonder again 
um what another one of those tracks which i like i said similar with asia um this is an album which i can listen all the way through and enjoy it it's one that i kind of previously haven't thought a lot about but listening again to it over the last couple of days um especially the chorus it's just so classic lewis johnson on bass um you can really hear his you know stamp on it is his slap bass in the middle um you can and you know his tone it's just so him um but yeah another fantastic track yeah for me um, this album's one of those that for years it slipped under the radar it's like i knew mm. the the uh, you know probably the first three tracks and i was like they're great and but i'd never had never took the time to really listen through everything and mm. really start to take it in and and when you do that it just gives it a whole new life yeah uh and it just it takes it again up a level from wh- where it was to to somewhere else mm. and then uh moving on to the next track uh something special again patty austin on lead vocals um herbie hancock on piano uh lewis johnson again um and not a lot to say about this track just again another fantastic track and uh patty austin somebody that i didn't really know much about um before going into this but um certainly uh we're checking more of her out after this because uh, yeah and yeah um, you know some beautiful piano work on on the whole album by herbie hancock i mean yeah. again of all the people who who uh quincy could call you know herbie's right up there as you know one of the greatest piano players yeah um and you know he just put some absolute brilliance on all yeah. over this album and to say that he does all can do all the jazz and he does his own music to then come in and do this session slash studio work and uh just lay it down yeah it's for sure a testament to him um and then moving on to another track which i think um another one we sort of both knew before coming into it was uh razzmatazz um Definitely. which again patty austin you know herbie hancock again um steve lukather again and what absolute an absolute uh excellent horn arrangement on this one yeah i love the horns on uh, razzmatazz it just and and the feel of it as well you know that kind mm. of disco but still with a bit of funk in there yeah with the, with the horns on it, it it just works you know yeah it just sits really really nicely yeah and i think uh with that sort of disco feel it becomes a bit more of a dance uh record than uh I don't know, like a classic sort of funk record. Um, but yeah, awesome track. For sure. Um, and then uh, track seven on the album. Prob- again, one of the most famous songs, I'd say, from the album. Um, and again, just uh, James Ingram just uh, stealing the show on this one. Um, this I think this track is kind of one of those ones that launched him, really. Um, and, uh, you know, you can have a look at... Um, the Grammys, uh, the actual specific categories in which they they won the Grammys for, but I think and one of them was um, vocal performance, and I think it might have even been for this track. So um, yeah, would make sense. <laughs> yeah, because the the vocal work on it is just incredible. Yeah, um, yeah, gorgeous ballad. Um, and then the last uh, the last two tracks were two that I. Uh, certainly this next one which i'm sure i pronounced wrong in velas uh, is um it's a, a track i really didn't 
know too much about. I've definitely heard it before, but um, probably just been on in the background. But um, looking into um, uh, into it today and yesterday, um, I mean, it is such a contrasting piece. It's an instrumental, the only instrumental on the album. Uh, and, and again, apologies for the uh, pronunciation, but it features a Toots Thielemans on harmonica, um, which looking into him has worked with just... It, it makes sense why he was on this album. Um, yeah, wor- sure. w- worked with the likes of Oscar Peterson, Dizzy Gillespie, and he's uh, actually at that time especially, he was the most famous jazz harmonica player of all time. Uh, at that time, that doesn't make any sense, actually, but I'll just let that well, one slide down to the radar. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll let that one go. But yeah, I mean, harmonica's not something you would think and really associate with jazz, and it's definitely not something you would stick on a funk album every day, you know. <laughs> Uh, uh, but again it was the totally the right choice mm. and and uh, you know Quincy knew what he was doing yeah and uh, I mean I knew he must be good to be on this album but then researching it it was like okay yeah that makes sense yeah <laughs> um, uh, and then finishing off the album which I think is just uh, just again sim- with Asia and Josie I think this is just a perfect ending to a perfect album uh turn on the action um and on this one you've got abe laboreal on bass again uh steve lukather again greg Gaines on synth herbie hancock and uh patty austin taking the lead um uh, on this one and once again fantastic horn arrangements and i really think um one of the standout things for me listening to it today was the backing vocals and how tight they are um especially in sort of the pre-chorus is so syncopated and um you know you know it must have been rehearsed you know endlessly to get it that tight but um, yeah it's another almost michael mcdonald on peg moment that we're, yeah that we're, we're looking at here you know with with how just how well crafted it was you know in mm. just in the backing vocals and it's all well and good doing that as long as the song stands up to it, which in this case, of course, it absolutely does. Yeah. And mm. add that to the horn arrangements and everything just being so, so tight and and well-crafted. Uh, yeah, it just makes it a really great, really great track. And as you say, it's it's a great end to the album. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think we could have picked to... Uh better albums to kick off this little sort of series that we're we're looking into here but um yeah um it's you know doing a deep dive on an album is you know there's only a few albums that you you would look at and you'd go yeah that really deserves it but i think in in the case of these two it's been definitely you know some really really deserving albums with some excellent tracks on and i think we would both recommend you go and sit and just listen to them from top to bottom um and and just enjoy enjoy the music because that's what they're all about yeah uh, i absolutely highly recommend um going and, and doing a little deep dive yourself into the, these albums or any albums that um like with us that you know with these two albums the reason, partly the reason we picked them is because we kind of already knew a bit about them, not as much as we do now. Yeah, um, for sure. But, but two of our favourite, are mutually our favourite albums. So, you know, if you've got any favourite albums, I r- highly recommend just going and 
and really looking into it and you know you'll f probably find out why you love them so much yeah it's one thing actually i quite miss about streaming is when you have the the, the vinyl or the cd and you can go and read the liner notes which is mm. always a favorite thing with any album you know if you're really into into the album going going and reading the liner notes and seeing who played on it now now it's a trip to wikipedia or a trip to all music or wherever to try and find yeah who was on who was on what and and who played that and who produced it and you know where was it made what studio was it done in it's all you know fascinating just to, to deep dive down on an album and and really understand it a lot more yeah i'm sure it's this was the same with you but it was like when i was a kid and um uh well even not that long ago when we would listen to cds in the car um and uh if there were new ones that we got or things that we'd already listened to my dad would always say have a look in signs who played on this one who did the bass on this who did oh same um, and i'll still buy cds just for that even mm. if i've got the album on spotify or streaming it or whatever i will still actively go out and buy the cds as anyone watching can see just there i've got a few stacks of cds out the uh, out behind me here but and i do i still take pleasure listening to them um and you get that that experience where you're listening to it you're looking at the cover you're looking at the liner notes and just that physical media for me will always stand above above the internet and the streaming the streaming thing as even though we're probably both of the streaming generation doesn't mean we yeah. uh, doesn't mean it's our favorite <laughs> yeah and i think um that's quite a nice way to sort of round off uh, the episode I'm, i know for a fact we're going to do more of this Oh, for um, sure. So, yeah. So, uh, make sure to... I'm going to let you take the lead on uh, checking out, uh, going to the links and everything. What are they? Yes. <laughs> so, you can find us uh, on Facebook or Instagram at Groovecast UK. And you can head to uh, my website, charliesmithdrummer.com slash Groovecast to find all of our previous episodes and all of our... Uh, all of the details about us. Yeah, so uh, we hope you've enjoyed this uh, special episode of Groovecast and uh, we'll see you next time.